Thank you, Mrs. JB. I guess it's also thanking God for your mother. Amen. I don't know, I see some delegation coming to support Mrs. Aqua. If you are here to support Mrs. Aqua, can we see you? If you came here because of Mrs. Aqua's birthday, please, can you rise so we can... All right. I see. God bless you. Thank you for coming. So, it's not a joke at all. This <laughs> is original 60th birthday. So... <laughs> It's a joy to see people you grow up with become mothers, become grandmothers and grandfathers, and then it's, it's, it's exciting. And um, as we keep saying, Jesus makes the difference. Because there are many people that seem to be ahead of us when we're in the yester years in society. But today, because they didn't know Christ, they made a shipwreck of their lives. But as we found Christ, we have found direction. And so, in Him, when the scripture says, in Him is life. And the life is the light of men. It is very true. That light means development. The word light there, development. And progress. So life of Christ, you are more progressive than those who don't have the light or the life of Christ. Because if a person doesn't have life of Christ, the scripture says he is blind or she is blind. It doesn't matter how well or how successful they appear to be. You always see that they are blind to basic things. And um, I don't want to give many illustrations, but you know what I'm talking about. That when somebody is in Christ, and he has the life of God, he also has the light of Christ. And the way he does the things, totally different from those who are not in Christ. And if you want to understand me better, look at the Kropon Stalin. You look at Usu Salem, and you look at all the and compare them to the other parts of the towns, you see that Christ makes a difference. Because Salem, all the nice places, decent, ordered environments in many of our towns and villages represent something about Christ. Amen. But today we are not talking about Salem. We are talking about Biblical covenants. If you have your Bible, you can read open to Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7. For this one we'll use the King James, but subsequent ones we'll use the Amplified. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, behold, 
The days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the, land, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their iniquities, will I remember no more. In that he said, a new covenant he had made the first old. Now that which decayed and waxed old is ready to vanish away. Let us bow for prayer. O oh Lord, I pray that you give me understanding and utterance by your spirit. That your word will reach all of us and cause our hearts to be convicted and to be transformed and to be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Biblical covenants. One of the areas of Christian experience that I have seen over the years that I have been in the Lord that many Christians shy away from is the area of biblical covenants. And it's very sad because Biblically speaking, a covenant is like a will. It's God's will to us. So when you don't know God's covenant that you have, what you are actually doing is you are depriving yourself of your inheritance. And sometimes people can be bequeathed great estates. And through all kinds of manipulations of others, or maybe through their own ignorance, they lose the right benefit from these benefits, these things that they have been bequeathed to them. Or sometimes when we are engaged in a business or a contract, people lose what is due them. I remember many years ago, there was this story, I think it was told by Papa Hagen, that a traveler went on, uh, on the sea. And when he was in the boat for many days, any time there was a meal time, the crew would ask him, it's meal time. But this man, like many Africans normally would do, had packaged himself things like Gary and biscuits and all sorts of stuff. 
thinking that when you pay the ticket, the fare to wherever, you also have to provide your own food. So this man, every day, he would, when they call the meal, he say, oh, I don't want to eat, I, don't, I came prepared. So you let it pass. And he would let the meal pass. Morning, noon, and night. Until they got to the destination. And the captain said to him, Gentlemen, I noticed you never came for the meals. Is there an issue? So when I bought a ticket, I thought that I'm not entitled to a meal. So I prepared myself. And there are many Christians like that. That is why the scripture says that calls the Bible the perfect law of liberty. Because not until you are exposed, we are exposed to dimensions of the word, we are bound, we are limited. Like I was talking about last week. Our perfection is limited. Perfection in knowledge is limited. Our understanding of God is limited. Our, our ability to fulfill what God gave us, the mandate that God called us to fulfill, is limited. And many times, everybody except ourselves. But this morning, I want you as a child of God to accept responsibility for you reading the will and for you benefiting from the will of God. Say Amen. The covenant that we have in Christ is the will of God. When you open your Bible and you go into the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, God introduces mankind to covenants. The first person we are told about God had a covenant with was Noah. And that it's interesting reading it because I found out that it was not just for Noah or his family. In fact, God made a covenant with the whole mankind, including animals. And I was wondering how the animals responded and how they were expected to respond. Because it's out there in, in, in the book of Genesis. As I was reading, I found out that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 9 to 11, He says, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you. So I don't know how the lions and the birds and all of them responded to this covenant. But they were in the covenant. And what was the covenant? It says, The fowl, the cattle, every beast on the earth with you, out of the ark and every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off. Any more by the waters of the flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I have made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Hallelujah. Since I do set a bow, then we talk about the rainbow, the phobia bow, even though I'm not a phobia fan. So, it's a very strange covenant because of all the other covenants that God seemed to have made with people, their people had to respond and behave in a certain way. But this one says, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm giving you an undertaking. It is a will, it's a promise that I would never destroy the earth with water as I did in the time of Noah. But I would destroy the earth some other way maybe, but not with water. And if it's going to, rain is coming and it's getting to the point where it could be destructive to the whole world, I will send the rainbow to remind me and to remind you so that you don't panic, you don't, you don't, you don't give up. 
That was the first major covenant. We call it the, the covenant of Noah. And after that, a few chapters down the line, in chapter 12, we are told, verse 1 to 3, God appeared to a man called Abram, who was then in Mesopotamia, whose father had been sent by God earlier in the earlier chapter to move to Canaan. And the scripture says his father didn't finish the journey. When the father got to meet Haran, he got caught up by the social activities there. He got distracted, which some of us do get distracted these days. As we are journeying to heaven, don't get distracted middle of the way. Say amen. Let's stay focused and go. Don't be like Haran. The scripture says when he got to Haran, he remained there. But if, and the, 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 the contrast is seen in the next chapter, chapter 12, where it says of Abraham. It says, God, he set out to go to Canaan, and to Canaan he went. Which means many people start the journey, the covenant, in the middle of the way they quit. Or they just stay at the same place, and they are happy. But we are called to finish, and to finish well. Say amen. So God told Abraham, I'm going to enter a covenant with you and after generations after you. And the covenant is simple. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred, your family. And go to a place that I will show you. That's very important. If God doesn't show you the place to go, you are out of breach. You are, you are in breach of the covenant. According to this covenant that God made with Father Abraham. Many times we are making names, naming and claiming things within the New Testament or the Abrahamic covenant and others when we are out of the will of God. But God said, I will show you the promises of God, the blessings of God are not in vacuum. They are within context. And it's important that the believers of today who, who believe that we know, name it, claim it, perceive it, and all of that, we have to understand the context of every one of the claims we are making today. There are many of the claims we are making that God has no hand in. But in the promise of Abraham, we say, oh, the promise of Abraham is for us by faith. You go to Galatians 3.14. He says, I, I, I claim the promise of Abraham by faith. Yes. That God said he will prosper him. Yes. To many generations. Yes. He will give him the land of... Yes. But the condition of that covenant was that I will show you a place that you should go. So if we know hearing where God is showing, there's no, we, we are in breach. So the naming and the claiming is out of place. So he says, God said, I will show you, number two. He said, leave certain environments. You have to be willing to let go of certain things and certain people. To be able to follow me. Why those people? Because those people were practicing animism, polytheism. When you say polytheism, they were worshipping many gods. They were practicing the worship of animals. They were doing things that were not good. And God knew that in Canaan, those things were right. So he said, leave in, 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 in Haran, it was right. He said, Canaan to you are going, you will meet it. But I want you to make, my, I want you to make me your God. Follow only me. That was new to Abraham. They to follow only one God. Because there, everybody, like many parts of the world, they have it, like in India. Every animal is, is, is a God of a sort. Every tree is a God. Everything is a God of a sort. So, it's, it's a problem. Hallelujah. 
So Abraham inherited a promise, a covenant with conditions. And we also are entitled to those promises according to Galatians 3. But that is still not the new covenant. After Abraham, one of his descendants who came was called Moses. And the scripture in the book of Genesis, uh, Exodus, begins to talk about the Mosaic covenant, or the, what we call the old covenant. And that's what we're talking about in the book of Hebrews. Came necessary for God to use a people as a model for the rest of the world. As to how he related to mankind. And so, when you read the book of Hebrews, it says that the old covenant was the shadow of the, the reality. So, I want us to spend a little time this morning to go into some dimensions, some aspects of this covenant. According to Hebrews 8, that we just read, it says, the old was not perfect. That is why there had to be a new one. Says verse 8 says, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So something was wrong with the old. Our, our assignment this morning and afternoon is to what was imperfect about the old that has been made perfect today and when you understand that you may ask yourself how does that affect me how does this knowledge help me one of the benefits we're going to derive is that you you, you will become free of condemnation you understand what the grace of god you you put the grace of god and the element of faith in the right perspective one of the challenges we are having today in the kingdom, we are having many extremes of everything. Everybody, people build up things. You meet believers who say, ah, to live a life of faith, you don't need to make any confession. If you've been sinned, you can just remember that Jesus died for you. That's all. I know some prominent preachers like Joseph Prince and Brother Chris and others, who's too wrong, just, just remember that Jesus did it for you. So you don't need to feel bad about it. Don't, that's sin consciousness, they say. But I, my, my response to that is that in James, we are told that confess your faults one to the other and pray for one another that you might be healed. Hallelujah. In first. John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, he's talking to believers. He didn't say that if the unbelievers confess us. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, I don't know how faith eliminates confession or repentance. Actually, the act of repentance and confession is also based on faith. Faith that when you confess your sin, you'll be forgiven. The problem is that many people also confess and they still stick to the old. And can't forgive themselves, can't forgive, can't accept the grace which is coming. That's also a big problem. So you have two extremes how to relate to the, 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 the issue of sin. 
And at the core of this whole thing between the old covenant and the new covenant is the addressing of the problem of sin. That is the core. So when you understand the new covenant, one of the things you're going to be able to do with handle is the victory over sin, which Paul describes in Romans 6, verse 14. He says, for sin shall have no dominion over you. Because in Romans 6, Paul was trying to uh, 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 bring a distinction between those who said, oh, uh, there's grace, so you can sin the way you like, and then also those who said, no, if there is sin, then there's no way for you. And he said, should we continue? He begins by saying, shall we continue to sin because there's grace? Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He said, no, we shouldn't. So clearly, the apostle identifies that as a child of God, there may, but there is a provision. And that provision can only best, be best applied when one has understood the new covenant. If you don't understand the new covenant, you have a misplaced um, uh, uh, you, you, you apply the, 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 the blood and, and confession, all of these things, in the wrong way. And you see, when we don't apply the word of God in the right way, we are shortchanged spiritually. We'll be like the man traveling all the way, only to find out that you had so many benefits, you could have overcome by a certain grace that provided a certain provision in the word of God, but because we had a certain posturing or understanding which was limited in a certain way we deprived of that grace. Hallelujah. So the word understanding the covenant helps you and I gain the victory over sin. We don't become slaves to sin as Paul talks about in Romans 6 and 16 up to 18 there. So it's important for the child of God to know about the new covenant. The other thing that helps when you understand the covenant, is that you understand fellowship. You, when you understand the new covenant, one of the things that's ha- going to happen is that you realize, like Paul says in Ephesians, that through Christ, the blood of Jesus, he has made us one, one group. We have made of, he has, in fact, I think chapter, uh, in Revelation 5 verse 9, he talks about the Father, he has made of all nations one through the blood. So the new covenant unites people. That's why it deals with the subject of uh, ethnocentricity and all these all this rivalries and people, not only ethnic issues, but even differences in the body. It makes you more open to receiving other saints who may be different from you in terms of orientation. Say amen. The reason why a lot of people struggle in adjusting to other Christians, they don't understand the covenant. When you understand the new covenant, you realize that barriers and limitations to relationship are dealt with under that. And so, if I want to benefit from the covenant, and you from the covenant, the covenant gives me the ability, it gives you the ability to write over that misunderstanding that this person is like this or from here, so I can't flow with him or her. It gives you the, re- the grace to be able to relate to every child of God at their level. Not necessarily on your conditions. Because God gives you the grace to accept them as they are. Say amen. Another thing that the, 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 the covenant will do for you is that it helps you in your prayer. Many of the prayers that we are praying, we are binding, we are losing, we are stamping, we are learning new ways, we are whistling, we are caning, we are doing all these things. Some have long 30-day fast, 40-day fast. We are doing all these prayers and yet 
It doesn't conform. The scripture says in, the new, in, in John, 1 John 5, 40 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The reason why many of the prayers are not being answered and we are still struggling, we are like struggling with Elijah. We do all that we have to do. But yet, it looks as if farther and farther away are the solutions. Because we don't understand the principles of the prayer. Because if you understand the new covenant, wherein he says, come, behold, the new covenant is under it. We are not using mediators. We are not using the priests. We are not using the bulls and the goats and all of that. But we are coming to God. He has made of us, according to Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, He made of us a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you don't always need somebody to stand in for you. All these pay 500, 200, um, special arrangements and uh, emergency, all these things that we are so entangled with. Uh, your understanding of the new covenant will change your way you pray. You can see that you can pray to God. And God will hear your prayer. Because he has, in the new covenant, under the old covenant, it, apart from Christ, apart from the high priest and the priest who could make intercession for the people, they had to go to Jerusalem or to the tabernacle in the time of Moses to, 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 to be heard. And they had to buy uh, parrots and, uh, what do you call it? All these animals, birds, and, or, to pacify goats. But under our new under arrangement, all these things don't really come in because the blood of Jesus has made that provision. And not only that, he has, through the blood, elevated you and I to become priests. And a priest, the scripture says, as a priest, we also offer, every priest that is named among men is there to offer sacrifice for himself and for others. So every one of us is a potential intercessor. Those of us whose prayer lives are only about my wife, my children, myself, my travel, my plans, my business. You are shortchanging your role as a priest. Because really, you are entitled to be an intercessor for somebody. You, you see, every priest that is named, according to the book of Hebrews, I think chapter 5, the first verse, about, every priest that is named among men is called to make inter- the problems of people for himself first and for the problems of others. And I'm saying to you that if you, are, you, you think that intercession belongs to only prayer warriors, you are in protocol, you are in Asha, so you, are, you have resigned yourself. Me, I don't pray for pastors, it's for myself. I have more problems, so I, I don't waste time. I want to focus on my wife, my kids, my husband. I want to suggest to you this morning or afternoon that God has called you to be a priest under the new covenant so you can pray for people. You can intercede for people. You have access to the presence of God. Not for your gain, your personal use. In fact, when you go to the Old Testament, it said the mouth of the priest must be full of knowledge. Those of us who hate scripture knowledge and scripture memorization and don't stand in school, you don't understand what you are missing. Your role as a priest is being undermined. Because you see, when you are a priest, the mouth of the priest must be full of knowledge. Now, you don't stand in school. You don't have quiet time. You don't not in any group. You've been urged many times, go to faith builders. You don't go to faith builders. You don't come to school of meetings. And you think you are playing hide and seek with the leaders, and you think that it's going to help you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're hurting yourself because your priestly role, you can't function well. Because you don't understand your priestly role. And yet, the part of the covenant that says that, oh, if you have any, have any problem, you have any need, and you come, and Jesus is making intercession for you, that one you like. You can name it. 
I said, you, you go, I plead the blood, the blood, the blood. Your bought tickets, Holy Ghost zone, the blood of Jesus. On your car, on your door, your fridge, everywhere, blood of Jesus. Yes, Moja, come with him. You got all the tickets. You got some things, other things. Those of you who are involved with mock pie, all these things. You are saying to the witches in your house, because of the blood, you die. When you are a priest, and he says that he is a good priest, himself has been through the things like Jesus. And so he's able to bear with them that have infirmity. That is part of our assignment. When you understand the new covenant and the relationship, it makes you a, little, a lot more sympathetic and tolerant. And for bad reason why many of us cannot bear with people and cannot even pray for people that are going, struggle, going through struggles, but we haven't applied ourselves to the new covenant arrangement. Because the covenant arrangement makes you an higher priest. And the priest must first, he says, he is able to first, apart from praying and all of that, he also bears the infirmity or feels, has, he has what we call in English empathy. You feel the way they feel. You can, you, can, you can bear with it. It doesn't mean you support what they are doing. But you, you bear with them. You, 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 can, you can see that if I was there, maybe I would do worse. You can see that this place, this person is. Maybe because I'm not in that situation, that's why it's like that. So I'd rather pray than to condemn. But many times we are quick to, to stand up and to say, oh, why did he do that? Why did she do that? And all because of lack of understanding of the covenant relationship we have with the Lord. Understanding the new covenant relationship makes a whole lot of difference to our faith, our prayer, our attitude towards the brethren, our, 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 our boldness into the presence of God. Many, many things will change when you and I um, understand the new covenant. And last but not the least, in terms of our salvation, we are assured when we understand the new covenant. We are assured in our faith. We become unshakable in our, our faith. We become resolute. We are firm. No matter what you pass through, no matter what trial and tribulation you go through, you know you are persuaded like Paul. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, because he understood the new covenant relationship. And that covenant relationship makes the whole, it emboldens you and makes you look forward to the coming of the Lord. Because you, the ultimate promise in the new covenant is the new Jerusalem. Now let's go through a few things. As I said, one of the critical things that this new covenant deals with is the issue of sin. Let's look at chapter 9. Hebrews. It says, Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first with it wherein was a candlestick and the table and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. Hallelujah. And after the second Fail the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, 
wherein was golden pot that had a manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenants. Simply put, order, rituals, and the focus was on the location. The first point is that whereas in the old covenant you needed to be physically located where these things mentioned are. So that's why the Jews had to go to Jerusalem once a year, a male adult had to go there and all of that. You had to go there at least one of the festivals, the three major festivals and all of that. They had to be physically present there. Even, I don't know whether the, the sick people, how they managed. But you had to be there. And sometimes those journeys took three days, four days, five days. But the difference is that we have expressed access into the holiest of all through Jesus Christ. Say amen. We don't need to travel. In fact, in verse 11 of chapter 9, the contrast is there. Okay. But Christ being come and holy priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So, in Christ, the new covenant, we are not dealing with the physical building. Much as the physical building is important now, let me say this thing. Do you know that for over 200 years when Christianity started, there was no church building? Did you hear me? There was no denomination. Neither was there a building in any town owned by Christians. Over 200 years. In fact, in the time of the apostles, you remember that they used to go to the synagogue. Jesus himself went to the synagogue, which was owned by the Jews. When they had problems with the Christians, they fired them out. That's why in the, in, the, in the epistles of Paul, you see, the house that is in, the church that's in the house of Stephanus, the, house, the church that is in the house of so, so, and so. So for 200 years, the church was called the church in the home. Church in the community. Because Christ in the new covenant dwells in our hearts. And whether we were physically present or not, you see, they, 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 they could still connect. Because the Christians were brethren at large. Because even if they gathered, their lives was under threat. It was really under the Roman Empire when Constantine became converted that we had a situation where with, the, with martial law, with by, 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 by fiat law, and that every part of the Roman Empire built temples for the Christians. That's how come many, this, you go see in Europe, many of the edifices you see, that's how it started. And they continue and continue and continue. And some of them have turned them into mosques and other things. So, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that Christianity is a faith of the heart more than a physical building. Though the, the building helps us in the gatherings. Because now we don't have enough large homes for people to meet. So we have to agree that we'll meet at a central point in a town. But bottom line is that it was not so the tabernacle, he says, is in the heart. Not a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Not of this building. That means that in the New Testament, the tabernacle is with the heart. Say amen. The second thing is, under the Old Testament, 
We dealt with sin, verse 6 and 7. It says, now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So the issue of dealing with sin. Now imagine that if we sin, we have to wait for a whole year, 365 days, before the high priest will go in and perform that. If you are not fortunate and the grace of God didn't find you, and because of your sin you died in the 365 days, I don't know what happened to you. Hallelujah. But under Christ, that access, instant access, through the blood, and he says, the blood of Jesus is not like that of Abel, crying for vengeance, but he is asking for mercy. Hallelujah. Now, let's delve a bit into this issue of sin more. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. So, the, the critical thing is that, ideally, the child of God must not be found in sin. Hallelujah. We must be focused on that. But, but, but the fact that we are a, a, a free a liberty environment in Christ doesn't mean that we are free to sin. Hallelujah. So he says, this is the message. That you sin not. But, and if any man sin, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Turn it to the... the, the uh, what do you call it? Amplified. Amplified. Just one in amplified book. Little children, I write to you these things so that you may not violate God's law and sin. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate who will intercede for us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, just, who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose thoughts and action. This is where many of us sometimes get challenged. Because there are many people that when they are overtaken by a fault, they, they can't apply this new covenant understanding relating to sin. That yes, Jesus is there. So Lord, I invoke the blood of Jesus. Have mercy on me because of Jesus. Without crossing the line that we are told about in Romans 6, that we will continue to sin because grace abounds. So in applying the grace, we should know that that is not the standard. That every time I want to feel free, like when we were on campus, one friend said, my faith, okay, my papai, but for mercy. That's not the, the idea. And if you want to understand it further, let's Look at First John Amplified. It says, No one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature 
abides in him. His principle of life, the divine spell, remains permanently within him. And he cannot practice sinning because he is born begotten of God. This is very important. If you are living, doing something that your conscience doesn't prick you, you just free. And you, have, you, you think that, oh, it, uh, God, loves, God is so loving. It's a temptation of God. Hallelujah. Because it's against your nature. And it's against my nature to be continuously, your, to be habitually. When you read the kingdom, it says, if you sin, it's like any, if, you, if you even think, because if you look at the daytime, you promise something will come to your mind. You look at a woman lustfully or you look at a man lustfully. You may think of doing something bad and that you sin. So that's not what we're talking about. But it says, if you habitually, conscientiously, you, 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 you know it, that I want to do this, plan it, execute it. And say, oh, the grace of God is there. The grace of God is there. Oh, God will do. God understands. Some of us, if we have been reading Hebrews 12, the opposite way, the other way. But it's uh, the sin that so is, everybody has its fault. That scripture doesn't necessarily say so. The sin that so everybody has its fault. Some people, they, they can lie. Some people, they fornicate. Some people, they smoke. Some people, they drink. Some people, they, they do this. So me to my own, God understands. That's not what that scripture means. It's very specific to what be the preceding chapters, particularly 11, where it talks about faith and the backsliding nature, tendency of the Christian then you see where the conclusion is. He's not talking specifically about uh, everybody has his fault. So we excuse ourselves with that. So in the, the New Testament, it is against the nature of the believer to be living in continuous sin. Because the provision has been made. The, the strength has come. But that also doesn't take away your salvation. It doesn't take away your relationship with God. That's why it says, if anyone who is born of God sins, it means you are still a child of God, but you are sinned. You don't cease to be a child of God because you taught evil. You are still a child of God, but you have to make provision, apply the provision in the word. Hallelujah. How do I, how does a person lose his faith? There are three principal scriptures. In the New Testament, that deals with this issue of sin and, 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 and losing faith. The first is in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. Let's see that. It says, For it is impossible to restore and bring again to repentance those who have been once for all enlightened, who have consciously tasted the heavenly gift and have become sharers of the Holy Spirit. Go to the next verse. And I've felt how good the word of God is and the mighty powers of the age and well to come. If they should fall away, if they deviate from the faith, turn away from allegiance, it is impossible to bring them back to repentance. For because while as long as they nail upon the cross the Son of God afresh, as far as they are concerned, they are holding him up to contempt and shame and public disgrace. Like Desmond Tutu's daughter, who says, I'm gay, but I'm an Anglican priest. Allow her to marry her partner, she quit the church. Obviously, this apostasy. 
have to use that illustration. So you find people who have been in their faith. God teaches you the word. You'll be there at your point. And say, from today, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think that all that I have believed many years today about Christ, you probably, even the Bible you say you believe it was written by men. And things like that. And blasphemy. Rejecting the very things that brought you to where you are. I'm not surprised with, about that lady because her, husband, her father has himself to behave, believe the same thing. I don't even know why people idolize him. Spiritual Christian people idolize him. I don't know. Because the man's values are very wrong. They are very unbiblical. To say the least. He may be a good political person, but spiritually, don't look at such person as a model. It's not everybody who has got clerical and has a great title who is spiritual. Some of us young people expect Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale was a New York pastor. I think a Presbyterian pastor. He said in his writings that my father was for, my grandfather was for 50 years or so a 33rd degree Freemason. And my father too was for about 60 years a 33rd degree Freemason. I have no apologies to anybody for also being a 33rd degree Freemason. And yet he was a pastor. So it's not everybody who is carrying clerical that you just follow just because it's famous and the world has elevated. There are many people that have name, big name, even in Ghana, all over. I remember one Methodist presiding bishop. He wasn't a presiding bishop. He was a president at the time. He wrote a book, The Four Living Saints. Four Living Saints. And one of the saints was the Grandmaster of Ghana. So it's for everybody. And that, 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 that priest became president of the Methodist Conference for many years and has gone on. And I, I remember that I was at his funeral. It was a big thing. So if you are reading, you have to be very careful. You have to be very, very careful. I was reading the book by Professor Pobi, an Anglican priest and um, professor and lecturer. He used to be a Legon. And he wrote about the politics in Ghana. And the things he said about certain priests and their role in all kinds of political, all this uh, Tophie, Kwame Nkrumah thing, all the, uh, he named all kinds of priests. I was surprised. And this is a well-researched book. So it's not everybody who is carrying a clerical that you accept. But back to my issue. If somebody is in their faith, having pronounced that and said that, oh, if, if the, this is what the church now believes, I will leave Christ, or I will leave the church. That's Hebrews 6.4 for you. It's impossible. Theological school, you have read Bible back to back, you've seen all there is to see, heard all you are, there is to hear, and yet you turn your back against Christ and you embarrass the church. Because, I mean, it will be very clear to say that, look, in the church, the pastors are avowed gay or lesbian, and people will be laughing at the church. So they bring the name of Christ to dispute. Say, Amen. The second, there's also a scripture, Jesus himself made one, but there's another scripture I want to refer to. In Hebrews 10, verse 26, amplified. It says, For if we go on deliberately and willingly sinning, after once acquiring the knowledge of the truth, 
There is no longer any sacrifice left to atone for our sins. No further offering to which uh, to look for it. Hallelujah. So, if a child of God, you say, oh, I've decided, like you go to Italy and Europe and many parts, a friend of mine, a pastor, went to a church. And the pastor told him, if you preach these things, all my members will not come. And the people were coming that the pastor was afraid of losing. They were all mainly prostitutes. And after the service, they would come to the pastor and say, Pastor Charlie, I have this anointing oil. Pray for me so that my business will prosper. So it's a deliberate thing. The person has decided that I want to live this life. I want to do what I want to do, but you pray for me. I, I, some of them in Europe, the pastor suffer. The person is a drug dealer. And they go and see the pastor. Even in Ghana, they are doing it. Charlie, when you do that, when we do that, that's the kind of thing we are dealing with there. Conscious, purposeful, continuous sin. Hallelujah. And the third disqualification that the, the, the new covenant does not take care of in terms of sin is in uh, the book of Luke, where Jesus himself in chapter 12 talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit. Luke 12 verse 10. So we're dealing with sin that the new covenant deals with sin clearly, thoroughly. Except in these cases. He says, And everyone who makes a statement or speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, against the Holy Spirit. That is, whoever intentionally comes short of the reverence due the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. For him there is no forgiveness. And you see it in Acts chapter 5, Ananas and Sapphira. He didn't even get a chance to repent. By the time they could say, Oh, Peter, they were gone. Hallelujah. So, the scripture is very clear that the blood of Jesus is efficacious, it's, it's, it's effective. It does what it has to do. If a child of God repents genuinely and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. As 1 John 1 verse 9 says. And if, but on the other hand, if a child of God consciously, deliberately decides to provoke God, then we have a problem. So, the new covenant dealing with sin is coming from the Old Testament. Old covenant. And in fact, when the, under the new covenant, Romans 8 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I've spoken about the location, the issue of sin. We all know, I've spoken a bit about the mediator, Jesus Christ being the chief mediator under the new covenant, verse 15 of the chapter 9. 
He says, for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament. That will call that he might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, we are no longer going to be begging, begging and pleading and forming queues on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, all of that, so that our sins will be cleansed. No. Because under the old way, father-in-law came and he saw what Moses was going through. He, was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he felt he was being harassed. He advised him, find delegates. Then he, God appointed him said, let Aaron be the chief priest. And let him appoint others. So they had people. So that if you, had, if you sin, you couldn't just yourself go to God. No. But under the new covenant. The mediator is Jesus himself. Inviting us to come. So you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious. Wanting people. Pleading with men. Pleading with people. Paying prayer warriors. Some people pay prayer warriors. Come and stay in their house to pray. I don't know why they do that. Because they can't sleep or they are afraid. Oh, you don't know that it happens in many places. In some churches it happens. People pay prayer warriors. When the scripture is very clear that he has given you access, the mediator under the new covenant is Jesus himself. You don't need me. Whether you call me and I respond, Reverend Dennis or Pastor Kweku or any pastor, if they, they, we don't respond, we are not there, you can't reach us. You should still be able to reach Christ. Say amen. Don't get angry because you couldn't get a pastor or somebody. And me, I'm leaving the church. They don't say strong prayers. You to where are your strong prayers? They don't do things. Okay, maybe we, we don't do things. You are the one who can do things. Do the things. Because in the, the new covenant, you have access to Christ. And you can also call upon the name of the Lord. Because Jesus is your only mediator. Say Amen. Stop looking for mediators. We talked about the blood. I don't want to spend time talking about the circumcision and the symbols. Under this new covenant, Jesus, we don't, the circumcision we do in the hospital is for biological purpose, not for health purpose. It's not for spiritual reason. But if we're to come here, we're dealing with circumcision of the heart. That means that genuine humility before God. When you look at Acts chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 37, when Peter preached, the Bible said, and they were pricked in their hearts. Today, people are so... The reason why we don't get pricked in our hearts is that we rationalize, we debate, we engage, we compare and contrast, we do all kinds of things. And we have found nice expressions to cover up all the things. So the conviction is never complete. So we never have true circumcision of the heart. We have people who justify that everything, oh, it's not bad, oh, it's not bad, oh, we all have this and all of that. Unless when we allow the Holy Spirit to finish His work, through repentance, there will be a change. Say amen. amen. But when we don't, we are quick to go back. We are quick to go back. Because there's no circumcision of the heart. And that's why many people, today people get born again. And within a short time, they, they will be, you see even pastors, priests, arguing about certain basics. Basics. 
that they should not be arguing about. Because somehow we still want a bit of the good life in the world and want Christ also. May God help us. Beloved, Paul said, I have many things to say, or the writer of Hebrews. We can't finish it all. I want us to understand one thing. Under the new covenant, one of the things that we are actually exposed to or free from is what we call legalism. Colossians 2 talks about that. Verse 10 to 21. Say, touch not, taste not, that sort of thing. You see, we do things out of love for God and we not because we have marshaled, we have put rules and regulations. No. When you go to like Jehovah Witness, SDA and those places, legalism is the order of the day. People do things, they don't wear earrings because of law. They don't do this because of law. They don't do this, they don't do that sort of thing because of law. But when you come into Christ, even though the liberty is there, your conscience is supposed to act as a judgment on you. So when we dress, nobody will come in, Holy Ghost will not speak, or the angel will not speak, sister or brother, the way you are dressed, watch it. Or the way you are doing this, no. But we hear, we ourselves, motive. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, Ask for God, He examines our motives. When we come into the New Testament, according to John chapter 4, 23-24, Jesus said that the hour comes when the two worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is there and He checks us within ourselves. But now we want to relegate it to somebody and we want to church to pass laws, rules, so that then we will say, it's a pastor. That's what they said, they are too chinchini. This person is like that too much. Is this person, so I'm doing it. So when you, there are certain things when you do, or you dress a certain way, there are certain people you avoid. Why you avoid? Because you have, you, in your mind, they are the law unto you. But the law must be in your heart. The law must be in our heart. The new covenant, the law is written in our hearts. It is not a law that we, we will call you to surrendering as Pastor Bimbo announced earlier on. In the first sense. When we urge you, when you are coming to get married, and we, urge, we invite you for a chat, it's a reasonable brotherly or sisterly counsel. Nobody is trying to intimidate you. We just want to warn you that we have been there before. Other people have been there before. Watch these portals or watch for these signs. Because it's always good when you have been on a journey to advise your neighbor. Even Ghana, when police stand along the way and they are collecting people's licenses and collecting, collecting, collecting. When you on the Cape Coast Road, when you, everybody will be doing this. They will be doing this. And then the lights, papa, papa, papa. You are warning the oncoming vehicles that they are there. So if the pastor or the leader or your parents who have been there are warning you that, hey, go for it in a home. You want your journey is supposed to be one hour. It doesn't stop you. They can delay you one hour. After, at the end of the day, okay, there's just 10 or 20. That's all. Like they did to me. Yeah, you remember that? He, call, he stopped me. On the flower road. And itself, all the talk, he went for a New Testament. Uh, what, do, what do you call them? Gideon's International. He said, okay, you tell yourself, well, come. Come. Gideon's International. Matthew chapter 5, 25 and 26. Read it for me. And then, he said, when they have arrested you, and 
whilst you are on the way to the court with the person who has arrested you. So that <laughs> Ghana police has happened to me twice. Twice on that same road. And that place, when they catch you, they will tell you, come and meet us at home. They will catch you at uh, Akachi and tell us, tell you, meet me at home. And you, when you consider the inconvenience, nobody will tell you what to do. I was pleading with a man. I think the first one they, we escaped, to be honest with you. I said, ah, also for giving this one, I beg you. Remember. And I pleaded and pleaded. But all I'm saying is that these are signals we give to people so that you too you don't fall in that pit. So take it in good faith. Don't argue, question, and do so much. I was telling somebody this morning that honestly Christianity, there is a bit of dogmatism in it. And it is rightly so because faith is dogmatic by and large. Don't foolish. It's not everything that we can use, put in the lab to prove. But according to the scriptures, we walk by faith and not by sight. And in the new covenant, it's not what we see. It is faith that rules. I pray that God will give you a better understanding. There's a lot to understand. This is a whole month of understanding. But I pray that as you have appetite now, you will desire to know more, to understand more. Because when you unearth these riches, it changes your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with the brethren. It changes your prayer. It changes your assurance of faith. You know, you, nobody can play around with your faith. Nobody can shake you because you are firmly rooted in Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Ask God for grace to accept these things and to apply these things. I know some of the things may be, not be easy for you to swallow, but that is the word of God. Me too, I've struggled with it. And I'm still struggling with some of them, but the Lord has given me grace to accept and accommodate. May you also receive grace to accommodate. Walk as a son, as a child, as a daughter of the new covenant. That you be not robbed. In the book of Isaiah, I think chapter 5, verse 13, he makes a statement there. So if you don't have knowledge, you'll be enslaved for life. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no... And their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Beloved, may you have knowledge so that you don't go into slavery. Mental slavery, spiritual slavery, physical slavery. May God deliver us from any form of slavery that will come because of ignorance. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to escape from slavery. In Jesus' name, Amen.